our text this morning is Romans 11, 7 through 10. And, um, you know, there, there's, there's, as we've talked before, there, you know, many ways you can, you can preach, you know, there's, there is this, a, a, a topical type approach where you, you pick different topics and you preach through them. And, and we as a church have, have chosen to, to do it, you know, exegetical, take, take one, one book at a time and go through it verse by verse. But you know there there are some sermons that you would probably never preach if you preach uh, topical that you just would just not not look for and and and, and uh, pick out to, to preach on. You know there are passages that are that are really sometimes very difficult to understand and really difficult to address. And today I think we we have uh, such a topic in uh, Romans eleven seven and eight. Paul talks about uh, that the rest were hardened and that uh, God sends a, a spirit of stupor. Um, the indication is that God sends it so their eyes will not see and their ears will not hear. That, that here's God sending this, this, this hardening, this, this spirit of stupor, so that they will not see, so they will not know. And that's a hard, hard passage for us. It, 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 it's hard for us. We hear this. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I, I want to say there's something wrong with this. Um, you know, this, this, this same type of passage is often linked to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And, and I, as I told Jack, there's, um, I think we all have somewhat struggle with this, but, but, but you, want to, you want to read just some fits, read, read some of how, how, some, how some commentators have tried to deal with this. You know, they just... They can't deal. This is this is this is hard stuff. Um, you know, they they read in Exodus four twenty one, and the Lord said to Moses, "When you get back to Egypt, see that you that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart, so that he will not let the people go." In in seven three, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart, though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. And we see this. This, this God doing this work. God said, I'm, I'm going to harden, I'm going to do it. I'm going to move in, I'm going to harden his heart. And, and in 2 Thessalonians, we read about God sending that spirit of delusion on those who are perishing. You know, the 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all wicked deception on the, for those who are perishing. Because they have refused to love the truth and so to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong, strong delusion so they may believe what is false. So, so why? How? Why would God, a loving God, send a spirit of stupor or a hardening or a spirit of delusion on these people? That means, so part of us like that, that didn't make sense to us. We struggle with this. And a very common approach that I, that I found is that, is that, you know, some people say, well, this is just sort of, this is just common language. And what this really means is that, that not that God does this, but God allows them to do it to themselves. I mean, the number of uh, commentators I read that, that said that, you know, God doesn't harden Pharaoh's heart. They, just, they use that other passage where it said Pharaoh hardened his own heart and God just allows it to happen. He really didn't do this. They look at Exodus 
But when Pharaoh saw all that, Pharaoh saw there was a response, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So they say, see, see, it wasn't God that hardened his heart. It was Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And God just allowed it. But the problem with this, there are just too many passages. Just too many times we find this language and this doctrine. Where God says, I, I'm going to do this. Isaiah 6. God is going to send Isaiah as a missionary. And oh, by the way, Isaiah, here's the message I want you to preach. Isaiah 6, 9. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make, Isaiah, your job is to make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Least they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities lay waste without inhabitant and the houses without people and the land is desolate. I mean, reading those passages, looking, I, I believe that we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice but to believe it is God who hardened Pharaoh's heart. It is God who sends a delusion. It is God who sends that spirit of, in, uh, 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 of insensitivity or, or hardening, as uh, other translations take it, that stupor. But I think we have a couple guidelines that we have to lay out to help us understand and apply this approach. Number one, I think we have to recognize, first and foremost, everyone deserves this. There is no one alive who's ever lived that does not deserve to have their heart hardened. We all do. We all rejected God. We all turned away from Him. We all refused to believe, refused to love the truth. So everyone deserved this. God would be right and righteous to send this on everyone. And 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 one and for me personally, the very important part of this is to note that this does not make them more lost. It's not like well, they're almost ready to, 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 to choose God, and then God sends that hardening and they fall further away. No, the, the, that's not the way it works. We know that. We know that. Whether God hardens their heart or not, the only way they will ever choose God is if God, God moves and God reveals himself. They're not, they're not like, oh man, they're just about to decide. They're just about, and then God sends that spirit of stupor, and like, oh man, they, they missed their chance. You know, that, that's just not biblical. So that hardening, that delusion, that stupor does not make them more lost. They will never love the truth unless God does the work. So, but then the big question we come to that I believe we need to ask and answer this morning is, what is this stupor and how does it apply to us? What is this stupor and how does it apply to us? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And, and then next week, as we get more into this, as we look at why and we see as we apply it, we're just going to look at just, just these three verses, um, 7 through 10, four verses, sorry. And just what is this stupor and how does it apply to us? Romans 
And I know it's a really long introduction, but I think this is, will help us in this. Romans 11, 7 through 10. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a, and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. And hopefully, we'll, we'll, so that background, we, we, can, we can approach this text and, and have a better answer some of the questions that, that immediately rise in our heart over this. You know, last week, as we looked, we said that God always maintains a remnant he always maintains a remnant by His sovereign grace. And that because of that, we can never give up hope for someone. Sometimes it looks hopeless. Or that sometimes, or, 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 or it seems like someone is too far gone. Or we can feel like Elijah all alone. God, every, all of them have turned away from you. All of them have deserted you. I, I'm the only one left. I look at Israel, and none of them, God, none of them are seeking after you. They're all, they're, they're all Waiting on judgment from you. But God, He is so much greater. So much greater than our feeling of hopelessness. So much greater than, than what our eyes tell us. So Paul used the story of Elijah in 2 Kings 19. And we saw that, that, that God said, He didn't look and say, well, there's, there's 7,000 out there that, that, are, that already believe in me. He said, no. He said, he said, He never even argued with Him. Instead, He said, He said, I am going to keep a remnant in the face of judgment. He said, Elijah, go and, and, and anoint Jehu king and, and anoint a new king over Syria and a, new, and a new prophet in your place. And I'm going to use the sword. They're, they're going to bring the sword. And, and they're going to leave 7,000 in the face of judgment. He alone, he keeps his remnant in the face of judgment. And it is always, and will always be, by grace. It is by grace that He does this. It will not be because of anything that they've done or will do, but by grace, by God's grace alone. As we read in, in, in verse 5 and 6, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. The minute, the minute any action or merit is added to it, then it stops being grace. Any action, any merit, if we think we anything that would cause it to be deserved, that we want to add to it, we, it can be merit from, from a work or an action or even ethnicity. If we think, well, you, you, you got it because of ethnicity, then it's not grace anymore. It's a perk. It's a perk of being that ethnic group. It is, it, it, there, can be no, there are no perks for salvation. It is always grace. If anything warrants your salvation, then it is not a free gift from God called grace. 
anything. Paul goes on and says, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Now, what was Israel seeking here in Romans? This, this is important. Help us understand what this stupid is. What was it that Israel was seeking? We'll look back in Romans 9, 31 and 32. But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law, reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. So he said, in, in Romans 9, Paul's talking about Israel, same Israel we are in Romans 11. He said, they were pursuing, they were, they were hunting, they were seeking righteousness. They wanted to be righteous. They were doing it by the law, by, by seeking after this law. And he said, Paul said, they, they failed. They, they didn't get it because they, were, they weren't doing it by faith. Then in chapter 10, verse 3, for being ignorant of righteousness of God, and, and, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Here they were, they were seeking to establish their own righteousness. This is their work. This is what they're seeking for. Verse 20, Paul says, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who don't ask for me. Israel was pursuing or seeking a righteousness by which they would see God. Israel's always known, always known, that, that the only way anyone would ever see God is through righteousness. This wasn't a New Testament concept. This wasn't like suddenly it appeared. They've always known. It's always been taught. The only way you will ever see God is through righteousness. The problem is, and the problem that Jesus pointed out, is that the righteousness of the, of, of the most righteous people they knew, the Pharisees, wasn't enough. Matthew 5.20 For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, describes the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. They, they, they really thought, if I'm righteous enough, by, by keeping the law, if I can do these things right, I mean, I'm going to, God's going to say, he's going to say, well, welcome in. You've worked hard. You've done the right things. You're good. Come on in. Jesus said, the most righteous people you know, the scribes and Pharisees, that's not good enough. And of course, we know why it wasn't. It wasn't good enough because it was through the law and not through grace. They thought they could work hard enough. They could do enough. They could make it. And they were seeking to establish their own righteousness. But the elect of God obtained it. They obtained that righteousness by which you could see God. They obtained that righteousness by which you could enter into the kingdom of God. God's elect, from before the foundation of the earth, those God foreknew, the foreknown of God, obtained the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes or Pharisees. By God's grace, His elect that's based solely on the foreknowledge of God. It had nothing to do with their will and their desires. Romans chapter 9 had nothing to do with what they wanted. It was based purely upon what God did. They obtained that righteousness. Romans 8. For those whom He foreknew, for God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order they might be the firstborn among, among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified, proclaimed righteous. And we know from Romans 3 that this is a gift. 
that God proclaimed you righteous, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and have been proclaimed righteous, justified by the gift of God. It is completely by God's grace. The rest, the, the, the elect obtained it, the rest he hardened. The rest he hardened. And of course, in this context, Paul's talking about the children of Israel. And, but we believe it applies to everyone from other scriptures. The rest he hardened. But we're going to focus on Israel because I, today. Every person in the world is either the elect of God or hardened by God. There's no other way you can put it, guys. If this scripture is true, you're either elect of God or hardened by God. And, and yes, I know this is harsh. As I said in the very beginning, this is not a very comforting doctrine. But but I want to see, I want to, to focus on the hardening and know how it applies to us. So what is this hardening? What is this hardening that, that God has sent on everyone? You know, Paul goes on to describe the hardening over the next few verses. Back to Romans 11. As is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear. God gave them this. He didn't allow it. He gave this to them. Down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. You know, Paul's weaving several Old Testament sections together so that we can know more about this hardening, so we'll understand it. So he takes, he's taken several and putting them all together. And we'll be I'll have to look at it more again next week. But first one, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29, and, and, and then also Isaiah 29. But first, Deuteronomy 29. In that, in Deuteronomy 29, Moses writes, he writes a warning to Israel. He said, this is at the end of his speech, he's given the second law, and he, he, he writes this warning. And, and it's funny, we've already spent a lot of time in Deuteronomy 29 and 30, just, just earlier back in, in Romans 9. But in Deuteronomy 29, 4, but to this day, the Lord has given you a heart, has, I'm sorry, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. He goes on, Paul, and Moses goes on in, in that chapter, in chapter 29, and he warns them, and he's laying out this, this falling away that's going to happen, that they're, they're going to they're fall away from God. And they're going to fall into captivity. And they're going to be carried off. And, and this, wonder, this horrible, horrible judgment is going to come on to them. And then it's leading up to that great passage in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And when God brings them back, and after this captivity, God brings them back from it. And Moses tells them, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. He said, first of all, God didn't give you, God would not give you the eyes to see or the ears to hear, the heart to understand. But there's coming a day 
when God will circumcise your heart and will cause you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And this is kind of a, a clue or a foretaste of next week. But this week is focused on the hardening. Because Paul also quotes Isaiah 29. And please turn back with me to Isaiah 29. Actually, we'll start in 28 and look at it. Because it, it, it's so much. You look at Isaiah 28 and Romans 10 and 11, and Paul lays them right here on top of each other. In Isaiah 28, it's very easy to see this in, in, in Paul's mind. In Isaiah 28, Isaiah talks about the chief cornerstone and the rock of stumbling that Paul's just referred to in, in Romans 9. In Isaiah 28, verse 15, he said, Because you have said, we have, we, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. And when the overwhelming whip passes through them, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. He said, he said we, we, we have a plan. We have a plan in place. We're going to be safe. We have this wonderful plan that's going to come take care of us. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, or, or as Paul translates, will not be put to shame in Romans 9. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line, and hell will sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters will overwhelm the shelter. He said he, there is this, this stone, this rock of offense that Paul refers to. And flip over to 29. And he continues this. Because of this, because of your, your rejection, because you refuse to accept this, this the stumbling zone, this chief cornerstone, because they, they've done this, there's a judgment coming. Isaiah 29, verse 1 and 2. Ah, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David encamped. Add year to year. Let the feast run their round. Yet I will distress Ariel. And they shall be moaning and lamentations, and she shall be like, be to me like Ariel. Now, God calls it Ariel, or literally the lion of God. The, the Ari, you know, we've seen that, that lion. This literally says the lion of God. And this is this place where David camped, city of David. This is Jerusalem. And he, he's, saying, he's saying this judgment's going to come on them, it's going to fall upon them. And he goes on at the end of this. Oh, it's okay. And, and he said, this, this, this is because of their sin, there's this judgment that's coming. Because of the rejection of the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, God is going to send judgment on them. And we find that judgment in verses 9 through 13 of chapter 29. Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and has covered your heads, the seers. And the visions of all of this has become to you like, 
like the words of a book that are sealed. And when a man give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he said, I cannot read. And the Lord said, because this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with the lips while their hearts are far from me, and the fear of me is a commandment taught by man. Paul says, this is their stupor. They're going to have this book, and they're not going to understand it. I'm going to close their prophets. I'm going to shut their seers. You're going to take this book to somebody and say, hey, read this to me. Say, well, it's sealed. It's closed. Take somebody else. Read this to me. I can't read. Why? Because their people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with the lips, and their hearts are far from me. And the fear of me is a commandment taught by man. Paul goes on in the next quote, Psalm 69. And this is one of those precatory psalms, in which psalmist is calling for judgment and destruction on, on his enemies. And Paul's saying that this is right. It is the right judgment that falls on them. They're drawn near with their lips, and their hearts are far from God. They have rejected God. They have taught to fear God as a commandment. They said, this is the right thing you should do. You should fear God. Why? Because it's a commandment to fear God. Not because of who he is. Not because he's great and wonderful. It's just taught as a commandment. They rejected the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and instead they sought to establish their own righteousness. In fact, they've taken all the laws of God and have given them, given, they've taken all the laws of God that God's given them so they could know God and know how to worship Him. So they, God gave them so they would know that He is holy and could only be worshipped in perfect holiness. And this would drive them to that perfect sacrifice. Instead, they perverted the laws and even added on to them in order to establish their own righteousness. Therefore, in judgment, God gave them a spirit of stupor, stupor a hardening, a delusion, a, a desensitivity. And what is this delusion, the stupor? It is the belief that they've achieved what they were seeking. That's their delusion. They think they've succeeded. They think if I do these things, I'll be righteous. They're sure of it. Every time they read the Scriptures, instead of being convicted and seeing their need for Christ's righteousness, the book's sealed. They can't read it. They read it and are satisfied. Well, if I do this and do that, I've got it then. Well, maybe I'm not quite righteous, but if I do this and this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there. That stupor, that, that delusion, that hardening, is that belief that they've achieved it, they've succeeded. We are righteous. I think it's really to the whole world. This is the stupor. This is that hardening. This is that insensitivity to God's word. This is the great delusion. 
I'm fine. Everything's good. I've succeeded. I've achieved what I was looking for. I'm there. So how does it apply to us? Well, I have a question for you. How would you know if you're in a stupor? How would you know if you're deluded? How would you know you're blind? You ever thought about it? How do you know that you're not colorblind? How do you know that's not, how do you know that looks different to you than it does to me? It's kind of like the, the men at Sodom and Gomorrah who themselves were out looking for a door that they couldn't see. They didn't know they couldn't see it. They, I mean, they wore themselves out all night looking for it. It was right here. Kind of like me with my keys. I know I laid them right there. You know? I, I know I laid them right there. Now, I really didn't, but I know I did, you know? And, and you look for them all around. And then Carol says, well, no, they're not here, they're there. It's like you're blind to them. How about you and I? How do we know we're not in a stupor? How do we know that we haven't, that we don't think? We've achieved it. We have reached righteousness. We're righteous. Because God, I'm telling you right now, I firmly believe our churches are filled, absolutely filled with people who believe they're righteous. Not because of what God has done, but because of the stupor, the hardening of the heart. They are in that same drunken stupor. And they believe they have succeeded and they are righteous to this day. If you went up to any Israelite that day and asked them, are you righteous? I mean, basically, are the sacrifices enough? Is that going to be enough to get you to heaven? What do you think they would have said? Oh, yeah. I do my yearly sacrifice. I follow the law. I do it right. What's crazy, what's really crazy, this is where it gets like, you want to see a spirit of delusion? They stopped doing the sacrifices 2,000 years ago, and they still think they're righteous enough to see God and get to heaven. That's stupor. That's a delusion. They still refuse to see Christ, that stumbling sock. And, and so I believe today, it, it, it's even now, our churches are filled with people in that same hardened state, that same stupor. And I, so I think it's important for us all to come to this place and say, is this me? Could this be me? Because this is the first step of this. How do you know it's not you? Because you come to this place and say, God, 
Show them if this is me. That humility to recognize it's nothing that you did. Is your confidence in something that you did? Well, I did this, so it can't be me. You got a problem. So how do you know? It's sort of like being colorblind. How do you know you're colorblind? There are two ways. Two ways to find out you're colorblind. One is to take a test. And the other is for people to tell you. So what is the test? What is the test to find out that, that, that you are not in a stupor, not hardened? Do you have a sensitivity to God's Word? When you read this Word, when you see this, do you see your need of Christ and His righteousness alone? Or does it lead you to try harder? Does it lead you to say, man, you know what, I, I'm struggling in my sin, but, but if I, I just need to try harder. I just need to do more. I just need to, 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 to work harder at it. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. Or do you see yourself now? Again, if you don't see your sin at all, that's another problem. As, as Mark pointed out yesterday when we met, he said he knew a guy that came in one day and he was a seminary and said, well, you know, I think I'm about there. I think I'm about perfect. I'm thinking about sinless. That's a problem, okay? I'm wondering about the spirit of delusion, okay? <laughs> Just to let you know. But when you see your sin, where does it lead you to? Does it throw you back on the mercies of Christ and say, oh, God, if it's not for you, if it's not for your forgiveness, if it's not for your grace alone? Or does it lead you to say, well, you know what? I really need to just do more. Number two, second test. Do you believe or think there is anything or any merit that you've ever done that resulted in your salvation? Do you look back and say, well, it's because I did this, therefore I'm saved. If, you, if that's you, be afraid. Be afraid. And and I would and I I say this because I, I I'm one of the ones that was taught as a child. We're writing the Bible. This is the day you did this. This is the day it happened. This day you made that decision. As if to say, look what I did. I did this so I merit salvation. I did this so I get salvation. No. It, God says, I did this. <laughs> or it didn't happen. Was it totally God's grace? God's gift? Or do you think you did something to deserve it? Born in the right family? had the right parents, went to the right church, baptized in the right way, made the right decision, received the right way, I don't, I read the right book. Did you do anything like that or was it totally God's grace? And the other part of this test, the importance of others around you. 
just like just like I found out that I'm solidly colorblind when I come out with socks that matched, and Carol said those socks are not the same color. That's a pretty good indication you're colorblind, right? What she sees is that's not that's not it, you know. <laughs> yeah, makes that's why I got socks. Notice I got socks. I can match you suckers. <laughs> I never get these wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I want to, I mean, before I go on into the ports of others around you, I want to say one last thing about that. Not just if you have done something, but if you think you can do something in the future. And, you know, not just that, that well, I've done this, but but to think that I'm going to be more righteous if I do something, that's part of that same stupor. I, I need to keep this law, or I need to keep that law, or I need to try that way. Or if you any of those things, if you think any of those things are going to add to your righteousness, I think that's part of that stupor. Um, but back, back to those around you. Are you surrounded by people who encourage you to look to Christ? Are you surrounded by people who say, you know what? It is only by Christ alone. It's only by grace alone. It is only as a gift of God. Or people that say, you know what? You just really need to try harder. You really need to do this and this and this to, uh, as well. And do people see you walking in grace? Or do they see you trying to keep the law? Please understand. This, this, this grace, it, it has an effect. It changes you. But, but it always comes back to not try harder. It comes back to praise God for what he's done. Giving him all the credit and all the glory and all the praise. I hope that when you read this and say the rest are hardened, you know, we, we, we all know the, the trick in church when we hear these kind of sermons, our first instinct is, that person really needs to hear that. You know? They really need to hear this sermon. Or that person really needs to hear this sermon. It's just saying, you know what? Do I really need to hear this sermon? You know, it, because... They didn't know they were walking in stupor. They thought they they were they did see they succeeded. They really thought they had achieved righteousness. And we look at them and we say, oh, "How could they have been so blind and so foolish?" Oh, that no one would ever look at our lives and say, "How could you have been so blind and so foolish?" Because if it wasn't for God's grace, we would be in the exact same place exact same place. There's only two, and there's only two choices. The elect obtain it by God's grace and the rest are hardened. If you're here this morning, great news is you have that, that conviction, that sensitivity and you respond to it this morning. Respond to it this morning. You can't come and say, well, I guess I'm not the elect. No, we don't know. 
It's never too late, remember? Never give up hope.